0: Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. I'm Mike Sturr. All right, man. Playoffs have started. It's our first episode of the postseason. We have the play-in tournament, which was electric. Definitely going to be back next year. Sixth man of the year was announced. Talk about the playoffs so far. and everyone's favorite segment, what's the verdict? You will ask me a series of questions and ask whether the party is guilty or innocent. Let's get started. Play-in tournaments. Warriors lose to the Lakers. Then, surprisingly, get bounced by the Grizzlies. The Wizards sneak into the playoffs. They lose to the Celtics, but knock off the Pacers. Let's talk about the Warriors and uh, them getting bounced by the Grizzlies, and then we can get into the Wizards. What do you think of uh, Steph Curry being sent off?
1: Um, honestly, I, I feel really bad for him. Um, he obviously did everything that he could in that game against the Lakers. If you saw that game, he was just hitting impossible shot after impossible shot you could see that at some points he had four and five defenders all having their eye on him, trying to deny the ball and trying to deny him space. And somehow he'd still create something out of nothing and knock it down. He went for 37 points that game on six for nine from three point range. And unfortunately he came up just short. Um, LeBron threw up a hail Mary. You know, he was seeing three rims. We'll get into that later, but luckily he hit the right rim, I guess. And it was enough to, to send the Warriors onto the next matchup with the Grizzlies. And I think that that's where really a lot of people were surprised because um, a lot of people, including yourself and a lot of other people in the media, pretty much made it like an afterthought that the Grizzlies would ever get in. Um, a lot of people thought it was pretty much for sure that Curry was going to continue his hot shooting and put the Grizzlies away. But I think that this game was really all John Morant and it was a huge coming out party for him, for a player that young um, to be playing against a player at his position that is probably one of the best point guards of all time. And he comes in as a young guy who's never been in the playoff in a do or die game and he's able to execute, comes up with 35 points, six rebounds, six assists, four steals, was five of 10 from three. John Morant was huge and he actually outplayed Stephen Curry that game um, despite another strong performance from Curry so um, I just feel bad for Curry he did everything he could do it's not an indictment on him he just didn't have enough around him this year Um, it was honestly impressive that he was able to put the Warriors in a position to get into playoffs at all given the supporting cast that he had to work with it would have been a lot of fun to see him compete in the postseason as it always is but realistically we knew that this team was probably going to be an early round exit, even if they did sneak in. So for me, it's not really that surprising. I had predicted at the beginning of the year that Stephen Curry would probably have to have his best season ever to make the playoffs. And even then they might come up just short and that's exactly what ended up happening. So for me, I mean, this is exactly um, what I expected. I wish that I was wrong and I wish that he was in there, but that's just how it plays out for them. Um, Props to John Morant for sneaking in there and crashing the party early.
0: Yeah, and we'll talk about this later, but people then go, all right, well, Memphis isn't playoff tested. John Morant isn't playoff tested. That was a nice game, but they're not gonna beat the Jazz at all. And then they go in and take game one. So it is a coming out party for him. I think it's also a coming out party for Dylan Brooks, who has also been electric uh, for pretty much the whole season, but really, to Close the season. He's been on fire. But talking about another person who kept fire to end the season, the Wizards sneak in the playoffs behind Russell Westbrook's Heroics. They lost to the Celtics, but then they knocked off the Pacers. Do you think that the Wizards actually have a chance to advance past the first round?
1: I really don't think that they have much of a chance to get past the first round. Um, They obviously, that first game, Russell Westbrook looked completely broken. He had one of his worst games of the season. It was strange when you watched him play out there. um, The execution that he had, he was just missing bunnies at the rim. His decision-making was terrible. Careless turnover after careless turnover in a game that mattered that much. It was really strange to see. Um, Bradley Beal looked like he wasn't really quite healthy. And Jason Tatum buried them for 50 points. Despite not having Jalen Brown, he got a huge boost from Kemba Walker, who contributed 29, and they were able to advance. After that game, it really didn't look like the Wizards were really going to have a chance. And somehow, some way, they end up putting together a great performance against the Pacers and bouncing them. That's actually something that I was not expecting. I thought the Pacers had better depth and were an overall better team top to bottom than the Wizards were. I was actually pretty surprised to see a bounce-back game of that nature. You would think that after the performance they had, they would have just given up. But the difference is, at this point, they're playing an opponent that, unfortunately for them, is just a lot more talented from top to bottom in the 76ers. Um, The Sixers currently lead the series 1-0, and I really don't see them making this – any more interesting than a 5-1 series at worst, just based on the way that these teams match up. The Wizards really don't play any sort of defense, um, and they really rely on being able to win shootouts to win games. So I don't think that they're going to be able to consistently stop the 76ers, and I think that ultimately they get bounced in five games. They might steal one if Bradley Beal or Russell Westbrook has an eruption. But I think that's about it for them.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the 76ers are too solid uh, top to bottom. I think the Wizards really are a two-man show. Um, I think next year, if the Wizards somehow keep Bradley Beal, I think that they have a better chance of progressing through the year as that chemistry has built. Thomas Bryant comes back after he uh, tore his ACL this year, and that will help them on the defensive side. But I agree. I think the 76ers, Embiid, Simmons, Matisse, fible they're all just too much defensively to shut down those two guys. And, and let's not forget
1: offensively, can... Tobias Harris, 37 points in that game.
0: Yeah. So they have the offensive firepower. They have the defensive stoppage. I don't, I don't see the Wizards even winning one game.
1: Yeah, I was really just spotting them the one game off the possibility that Beale might go for 45 or 50 one day. Um, It's possible. He, he did it a couple times in the season. So it's not out of the question. He might um, have a game like that, but I agree with you that if we're just going based off talent alone, it should be a sweep.
0: Yep. I agree. Well, moving on to a team in the West and really a person in the West, Jordan Clarkson wins six man of the year. It's the first of the awards to be announced. This was probably the most, uh, locked in easy pick that anybody could have made for the awards, but just talk about Jordan Clarkson's growth generally and how he he got to six man of the year.
1: Yeah, I thought, um, I saw him say something about it recently, but he says that getting the rare opportunity to play alongside Kobe Bryant and then also LeBron James, give him the opportunity to study the habits of two of the greats and what it takes to be able to succeed and play at a high level, but they both did it in very different ways and went about their business in different ways. But um, seeing that, then going to a situation like being in Cleveland, where you're essentially in a losing situation with a lot of turmoil, um, a toxic ownership, and then getting essentially a second chance at an NBA life when you get traded over to the Jazz, um, a team that most people would say have a pretty solid front office, pretty good roster, and is pretty competitive year in and year out. He basically took that opportunity to really focus on his craft, um, put in the time and the effort to hone in his game, and we're now seeing the culmination of all of that. He had a monster year. I think that Jordan Clarkson is a player that on a lot of teams probably could start He's definitely talented enough to do it, scoring 18.4 points per game, four rebounds per game, 2.5 assists. But I think that at this point in his career, he's basically settled into what his ideal role would be, which I think is in the mold of a Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams type player, somebody who is really an undersized guard, who probably isn't um, big enough or defensively minded enough to consistently um, defend or lock down the other team's wing player on a consistent basis to be a starter, but somebody that has great scoring talent that off the bench gives you a scoring infusion and in energy. Anytime you plug them in and you basically tell him, look, your main job is go out there, shoot the ball and score. And playing with that mindset, the jazz have allowed him to basically just hone in on what he's best at. They're not asking him to try to play as a point guard or to try to create for others or to try to be a, um, a playmaker or be something that he's not. Like He's only averaging 2.5 assists per game, but they don't need him to do that on that team. What they need him to do
0: he is that to from attack Kobe. the basket
1: and score. Exactly. Exactly. So play your role, you know? And he, he's been great at it this year. His efficiency has been great. And I don't know that the Jazz would be the number one seed without him because, because of him, when Donovan Mitchell sits, the drop-off in scoring isn't as noticeable as in years past when Mitchell sits and then the jazz are like, okay, how do we get offense? They now have somebody to carry that bridge and basically give you a little bit of what Donovan Mitchell gives you from the starting unit in the reserve lineup.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's, I think it's been interesting to see these teams over the years that have had like, the Clippers had two guys who were six-man-of-the-year finalists. The Jazz had it this year with two guys being six-man-of-the-year finalists. It, it just shows, like, how deep these teams are and how much of a team sport basketball really can be when it's played the right way.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, speaking of which, the Jazz right now losing their series. Donovan Mitchell did not play the first game of the series. We'll get into that later. But are you surprised, as you mentioned earlier, the Grizzlies were a team nobody was picking to advance past the Warriors, and here they are again leading their current series against the number one ranked Jazz. Do you think that they actually have any sort of chance of pulling off this upset?
0: I think we will know more uh, tomorrow night if the Grizzlies, even if they lose – that game, if they're close the whole game, then they're going to give the Jazz more problems than I think people expected. The biggest surprises for me have been the Grizzlies. Um, also, Portland, it's kind of a surprise, but not really. I mean, you knew that it, Dame was going to go off. So I think they probably have the best chance of an upset as well over in the West. Um, on the, the East side, I think that It's surprisingly unsurprising that the Knicks didn't beat the Hawks. And then the Knicks have a chance to get uh, booted pretty quickly here. Um, But the biggest surprise to me in the East is uh, looking at the Miami Heat. They were in close contention the first game. They got battered, absolutely destroyed last night, the entire game. Um, And it just seems, even though the first game, Jimmy Butler and Bam were not really impactful whatsoever uh, with the exception of Jimmy hitting that shot to send them to overtime. And then yesterday, I I don't know if you could say anybody on that team was impactful. Um, So overall, that's probably been the biggest surprise. The rest of the playoffs have been, I think, squarely where people expected them to be.
1: Yeah, honestly, it's been really shocking to see what's been going on with the heat because if you look at it, The only difference in reality from this year to last year was that the Heat replaced Jay Crowder with Trevor Ariza in their starting lineup in the bubble or in the playoffs, and the Milwaukee Bucks integrated Drew Holiday. Does that really amount to this wide of a difference? I mean, it's just incredible to me how Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, the two all-stars of this team, are seemingly the least two productive players through two games and these are guys that are always talking a big game about how they're locked in about how they have to lead by example all this all that i mean the first game the heat should have had that game they've got to be kicking themselves for not winning that game they get 24 points from duncan robinson on 7 of 13 shooting from three they get 25 points from dragic who looked like he was back in phoenix Hitting five of 10 from three, 10 of 17 shooting, and they only lose by two points. They waste that game because Bam Adebayo comes up with nine points on a four of 15 shooting, and Jimmy Butler goes, I mean, this is hard to, to imagine, but four for 22. Four for 22 shooting. I mean, it's really hard to win when your two stars combined are eight for 32. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. The following game is even worse. Bam Adebayo improves his scoring, but his plus-minus is overall worse. If you saw that game, you didn't really notice or feel him out there. It seems like, for whatever reason, all the confidence and all the talk that we had about his mid-range game throughout the regular season is now out the window because he seems to have no confidence in that aspect of his game. Um, I think that at this point, the Bucks realize that, I mean, by Metabayo, his his greatest strength is that he's very quick and is a great ball handler for a player of his size. So what they're doing is they're just sitting their front court back in the paint, and they're giving him a ton of padding and saying, look, we're going to wait for you here in the paint. We're not going to give you the opportunity to beat us off the dribble. We're going to give you that jump shot. We're going to give it to you. And he's not taking it. He's catching it with a bunch of room around him to pop an easy 12 or 15 footer, but he's not even looking at the rim. It's like he doesn't even want to be in that moment. He doesn't, he doesn't want the pressure of taking that shot. So he's not creating at the free throw line. And he's also not taking the open jump shots they're giving him. And Jimmy Butler seemingly can't hit even wide open shots at the rim. It's honestly really unexplainable. I guess Jimmy Butler said it best. The positive right now for the heat is that they really, uh I mean, they couldn't have played any worse. That first game, they got a great lift from their bench and only lost by two, so they have that to look back on to say, hey, look, when we play with some effort, we could potentially beat this team. Our Stars played awful, and we were within two. That second game, that was the worst game they might have played all year. So um, I guess that's the silver lining for them. The Nuggets did come back from two consecutive 0-2 deficits in last year's playoffs, but this is not the bubble. And we're going to have to see a lot more from the Heat's best players if they're going to get out of that hole.
0: Yeah. And you also would need to see a – like the Heat can't play two close games at home because if they play two close games at home, they're just going to get destroyed once they go back to Milwaukee. They need to have a definitive victory where the Bucs are fouling for the last minute to try to come back and just cannot – Um, but overall, I, the Bucks game plan is just let the heat shoot and let the heat miss. So the shooters have to be on, but the only way for them to get more spacing inside is you have to have guys like Jimmy Bam and Spo needs to coach us up to have cutters into the lane. If it's baseline cuts, backdoor cuts, throw a guy with a pick and roll off ball screens, like there needs to be a more creative game plan than just let's fall into whatever trap the Bucs are setting for us and launch it from everywhere on the court. Because if your shooters aren't on, then they're not on. So it it needs to be definitely more of a a creative game plan overall. And then on defense, they need to be playing more effectively. The Bucs were shooting lights out last night. So I think they that... did an
1: effective job of playing defense the first game. So they do have the ability to defend exactly. them. So it's it's not for lack of ability to defend them, but they have to execute the game plan. And the other thing I thought it was funny what you mentioned, the Bucks scheme that they're using right now of letting the Heat shoot and essentially saying, Hey, we're gonna pack the paint and let you shoot is basically a page right out of the Heat's book. Yeah. That is the game plan, the Heat executed on the Bucks the previous year. Where yeah, they basically they that said, on the hey. Bucs
0: and the Celtics. Right.
1: Exactly. It's literally a page right out of the Heat's book. The Heat literally can't fall victim to their own defensive game plan. The Heat know that their game plan is to take away the opposing team's favorite thing, which is attacking the paint from the Bucs, um, denying penetration, and allowing their shooters to shoot. That's exactly what the Bucks are doing to the Heat. The Heat need to counter by forcing their way into the paint I don't know why the Heat haven't yet. Instead of always using Bam as a moving block of just using him to constantly set up screens, Bam, set a screen, set a screen, set a screen. Why aren't we having Bam as the, as the ball handler in pick and roll? At the very least, you could get the opportunity of getting their front line in foul trouble, which is something we really need because the Heat have been getting out rebound as well. So they need to get their their front court at least in some foul trouble to get them to back off a little bit on defense, slow the game down, because they can't keep up with them in transition. Giannis in transition, no one's going to stop that. They need to slow the fast break, attack by getting to the free throw line a little bit more, and I think the best way to do that would be to get Bam, have someone be a screener for him. Imagine, for example, a Duncan Robinson being a screener for Bam instead, where now, you have to play Duncan Robinson at the three-point line. Bam gets ahead of steam, running to the basket. You can't double team him at the paint because you have to you have to drop someone back to defend Duncan Robinson or a shooter. And you have a rolling Bam at a bio to the rim with an advantage. That's honestly, – would have to be a little bit more creative in their game plan. But um, it remains to be seen if they'll be able to execute it. Another interesting matchup so far: the Dallas Mavericks leading the Clippers. I know that you said that um, the 4-5 and matchup there, you can't really consider the Clippers much of an underdog or uh, the Mavericks much of an underdog. But playing out as we expected, the Mavericks came out and took care of business. Luka Doncic becomes, again, one of the youngest players to drop a 30-point triple-double in the postseason. LeBron is the youngest at 21, followed by Luka Doncic at 21, and Luka Doncic at 22 after this most recent game. What do you make of the Clippers Mavericks series? Uh,
0: I mean, this is to be expected because Paul George seemingly just becomes irrelevant in the playoffs and they're going to need him uh, to continue on and to uh, win this series. But what I found the most ridiculous from this game was Kawhi Leonard threw it down on Maxi Kleber or Kleiber And that was assault. it was, but the picture shows Kawhi, and I forget who the two are, the others were, staring him down. And Cliver- oh, was after-
1: Morris and George.
0: <laughs> yeah, so then Cliver after the game is like, you know, I thought that was unnecessary. I thought that, you know, they really shouldn't have stared me down. Like, have we gotten to a point in the league where people can't throw down with authority and stare at somebody without people taking offense? Like, that was such a soft comment by Klaver if you don't want to be on a poster then don't go up and try to block and let your team rip you for not even trying on the defensive end but if not (laughs) that comes with the consequences because if he would have pulled off a bam or a LeBron where he stuffs this guy at the rim then he probably gets paid a mid-level deal immediately by the Mavericks like just by that one play so keep those comments to yourself they're they're not serving anybody
1: He clearly hasn't watched any old school Shaq highlights if he thinks that that is offensive
0: yeah like think about Vince Carter too like there's so many we can rattle off a bunch of dunkers from the past and even the present like anybody who Miles Bridges has dunked on this season every single person should have come out and I think complained.
1: Giannis Antetokounmpo mean mugs every dunk
0: yeah but anyhow I digress Moving on to our final segment. What's the verdict? You'll ask me a series of questions and I will give you my response as to whether they're guilty or innocent. Let's do this.
1: All right, let's go through it. Chris Paul, friend of LeBron James banana boat buddy, allegedly hooked LeBron on a rebound, which sparked the benches to clear James was writhing around in pain on video replay it did appear like chris paul maybe did rope his arm up was this just a common incidental foul or is chris paul guilty of trying to make a dirty play on lebron
0: like maybe he's guilty but with the theatrics that lebron has been giving as of late it's hard to say that i think chris paul's like 63 that a six three six I'll foot
1: one seventy.
0: All right, six foot one seventy uh guy rope the arms of a six, eight, 260 hundred and sixty pound linebacker and caused him to writhe around in pain on the floor to then get up and continue to play, especially when that's like his best friend. You think that Chris Paul would want to injure LeBron? So I don't know. I with With LeBron's recent history and with them being best friends, I can't really say that he's guilty of foul play.
1: Yeah, honestly, um, the way that I saw it, I don't think that Chris Paul would ever try to actually injure LeBron. I think that it's just a tough rebound. You know how guys get physical in the NBA when they're rebounding. I think that it was a rebounding foul for sure. Um, I think that he was trying to restrain LeBron from being able to grab the rebound but I don't think he was doing so with like a flagrant, malicious, let me, you know, injure this guy intent. I think it was just incidental basketball. It was a hard foul. But, you know, that's, that's really all that it was. But building on that point, my next question to you is LeBron James has recently been seen, um, I guess, supposedly been taking a beating the last couple of games um, in the play-in game. With the Warriors, he apparently was severely poked in the eye by Draymond Green, ride the round in a lot of pain, um, went over to the bench. He even brought out the Space Jam-looking bottle of eyewash that had a big, giant print that said eyewash on it. Um, he was crying as the bench assistant poured the drops in his eye. Um, he looked really shaken up. I mean, apparently he said that he could only see three rims um, and now you know Chris Paul tugging on him his shoulder feels awful CJ McCollum seems to think that LeBron James is eligible for actor of the year do you think that LeBron James is guilty of flopping and exaggerating contact or are people just bullying LeBron
0: well if I didn't think that he was guilty of flopping and exaggerating contact, then I would probably think that he was innocently getting picked on by the whole league, but that's not the case. I think he's guilty. I think he's guilty of flopping, but we talked about this, I think with Trey young earlier in this, uh, in the season, like probably episode eight or nine, like the best guys in the league are going to be committing these flops and committing this exaggerated contact. It's the same thing you see in soccer. It's the same thing you see uh, in the NBA. It, like, it's just part of the game. This has been going on for years. Paul Pierce was notorious for this. LeBron is notorious for it. James Harden is notorious for it. And so I it, it's a crappy part of the game, but it's a part of the game nonetheless. And I think as long as the calls are getting called and they're having this sort of positive reinforcement to the players who are trying to get those calls, then they're going to keep doing it. If LeBron has to get hammered in order for him to get called for a foul, then he's not going to have those little flopping moments and those ticky-tack moments. But when somebody swipes at him with their elbow, he goes down and points to his el- his chin after getting quote-unquote elbowed. Then He gets the call, he's gonna do that every time. So yeah, he's guilty of flopping and exaggerating contact, but until the league changes their policies for the refs, he's not gonna change.
1: Well, while we're on the topic, it seems the flopping didn't end up panning out against the Phoenix Suns in their first game as the Suns do lead the series 1-0. Anthony Davis shows up with a stinker of a game, five of 16 shooting. 13 points with the worst plus minus on the whole team of negative 18 later comes out and says that he has nothing to prove to anyone. Would you say that Anthony Davis is guilty of being defensive?
0: Yes, but I think that he's learning that from LeBron. Honestly, you didn't really hear AD saying those sort of things when he was in new Orleans, you didn't hear him saying, I don't have anything to prove because he did have something to prove. He needed to prove that he could win and he needed to prove that he could win a championship. Now that he's done that and LeBron went on his whole tirade last season when they won of, you got to put respect on my name. You got to put respect on Jeannie's name. You got to put respect on Rob Palenka's name. You got to put respect on AD's name. Now I feel like AD kind of has that. I've already won a championship. What else do you need me to prove? And for somebody who is playing with one of the best players in the world, and had to sit out most of the season due to an injury plague season and is now down 1-0 on the first round of the playoffs to a team that probably is going to boot them. I I can't say that he doesn't have anything left to prove. Like
1: So on the, the record, you are predicting a Phoenix Suns – well, can't really call it an upset. They are the higher-seeded team, but many people would have thought at the beginning of the year that the Lakers would definitely beat the Suns. Are you confirming that you expect the Suns to win the series?
0: I do, yeah. I think all the, for all the reasons that you and I have talked about, especially you've been hammering away with the lineup issues with, uh, with the Lakers. So I don't think that they sweep them. I think that the Lakers will win a game or two. But I think that the Suns look really good. I think that they're a great defensive team. Um, offensively, they're sound. Chris Paul is father prime. Uh, he's the, He's the new father prime, taking that from Wade, who's retired um and the Lakers just have too many injury issues as well as lineup concerns that I can't comfortably say that they're going to win
1: yep I have to agree with you Andre Drummond logs 19 minutes as he continues his lack of production as I pointed out earlier um the Suns continue to roll DeAndre Ayton quietly continues to be a great pickup 10 of 11 from the field 16 rebounds he Has low-key been a pretty good number one selection after all, but moving on from the Lakers and the Suns in this series, Donovan Mitchell suddenly held out of game one against the Grizzlies because the team wanted him to recover longer from his ankle sprain, although he is now cleared for game two. The Jazz wind up losing game one, and Mitchell publicly expresses his frustration at the team's decision. Are the Jazz guilty of mishandling Donovan's recovery, and will they regret the choice to sit him?
0: I think that this is a this will hindsight will make this clearer uh, once the series is over. If the Jazz win and Donovan is healthy to play the next series and played every single game this series, then everyone's going to forget about this. If the Jazz lose again with Donovan in. And then lose this series overall, then people are probably going to say, well, the Jazz lost their forward momentum with what they could have had if they would have just played Donovan. Conversely, though, if they would have played him this first season or first series, and similar to like the KD incident with the Warriors, if he comes back from an ankle sprain or an ankle injury, then goes in and then something worse happens then the Jazz just wasted the prime time of their young budding star by playing him when he wasn't ready. So there's so many what-if scenarios from this. I still think the Jazz have an excellent shot and like I would still put them as 80% favorites in this series, but I think whatever happens in this series will dictate what the continual narrative is here. Unless they lose the series and in the second game, he re-injures that ankle, then they did the right thing for sure.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's going to be one of those things we have to wait and see. Um, I think that it probably speaks to the Jazz's confidence in themselves and also their, I guess, lack of respect for the Memphis Grizzlies that they decided to do this because I'm pretty sure the Jazz probably figured they could win this game without Donovan Mitchell. Um, They probably would have played him if they thought that the Grizzlies were a threat to win this game. But um, I think that John Morant really surprised them. Derek Brooks really surprised them. They, the Jazz ended up losing by three. It's not like they lost by a ton. They realistically might've won the game and they would have looked like geniuses for resting Mitchell in extra game and pulling off the win at the same time. So the way I look at it, they were only four points away from looking like geniuses. Um, it'll have to, be one of those situations where we see who wins the series i am like you i still expect the jazz to come out winning this one in the end and um i think that donovan mitchell coming back will give us a better indicator of how these teams actually stack up when we see what the score is with the jazz at full strength but moving on to our last one we have the new york knicks finally in the playoffs they're actually the higher seeded team and Spike Lee and the Knicks fans are feeling great about themselves. Trey Young and the Hawks come into Madison Square Garden. Um, The fans of the New York Knicks are notorious for being a little bit vulgar. They start cussing at Trey Young, F you, Trey Young, start cussing at him here. And Trey Young winds up hitting a game winner, silences the crowd, and starts cussing at the fans, starts saying, It's effing cold in here. It's real effing quiet, real effing quiet in here. Um, He breaks the hearts of many Knicks fans who have been waiting a long time to see a Knicks victory in the playoffs. I can't remember the last time it happened because I'm pretty sure the last time that they were in the playoffs with Carmelo, um, they didn't win any games. They were always just an early exit in the first. But what do you think? Is Trey Young guilty of being cruel? He just won't let the Knicks have their moment.
0: I mean, the guy came out and said if he needs to be the next villain of Madison Square Garden, he will happily embrace that role. So I think that the the Migos are responsible for his reaction completely because ice trade the game, ice trade the game. So that's why he's saying it's cold in here because ice trade the game.
1: Yeah, no, he, he honestly played a fantastic game. in his playoff debut comes out, goes for 32 points, 10 assists, shoots 11 of 23, and they pull out the narrow win against the New York Knicks. You know that the Knicks rely entirely on Julius Randle to be able to win. And unfortunately, Randle had a pretty off game for him. Six of 23 shooting, two of six from three, 12 rebounds, 15 points. I think that's what was more impressive. The Hawks, a team that have been known for offense, but basically no defense, won this game basically because they were able to play good defense on the Knicks is best player. What do you think about this series? Do you think that the Hawks end up winning this one?
0: I think the Hawks definitely have a chance to win this one. I think that obviously if they win the second game, I think it's a done deal. I think the Knicks... I think the Knicks need to clamp down more and rely on the defense that carried them for so long uh, this season. But what's impressive here, like we talked about in episode one or two, the fact that Lloyd Pierce may misuse these players. And by misusing them, he's going to be fired. And the guy who comes in as his replacement for the interim coach, if he uses them correctly, Will likely become the coach after the season, but also lead this team to the playoffs, which Lloyd Pierce couldn't do. And that's exactly what happened. Lloyd Pierce had them in the 10th seed. Then Nate McMillan comes in, brings them all the way to the middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference, clearly knows how to utilize these guys and has them potentially getting into the second round of the playoffs and even further. So I think it's a testament to Nate McMillan having a short-term memory after getting fired from the Pacers last season, coming in and then stepping in as an interim head coach. I 1000% think that he will be hired as the full-time head coach following the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I fully agree with you. And I also expect the Hawks to be able to win this series. I think that they just have a better team from top to bottom in every way. They... I mean, if you look at their roster, they have an amazing roster on paper. They should be better, actually, than what they are right now. If they started out the year playing the way that they ended, they could probably be a top three seed in the East. But you're looking at this team, John Collins, who's like an all-star level talent. Um, Clint Capella, who's been great all year, great defensive presence. Thaddeus Young, or uh, Trey Young, who obviously on any given night is going to go for 30 points and 10 assists. He was the only player in the NBA this season to average over 25 points and 10 assists. Bogdanovich gives them great spacing and shooting, which is honestly kind of unfair next to Trey Young to have another 40-plus percent three-point shooter on catch. And then you have Daniel Gallinari coming off the bench, Tony Snell, who's been fantastic all year long, Lou Williams, and another three-point sniper in Kevin Herter. So they might honestly have the most shooting depth in the whole league. So um, I definitely expect them to pull it off. And I agree with you. I think that Nate McMillan has earned himself a new contract at the end of this year. But, um, yep, that's all we have for you today. Thank you for tuning in. We'll keep you posted as the playoffs go on. Tune in for all the latest matchups, analysis, and predictions. Follow us on Twitter and listen to us on Apple Music. Spotify. Um, reach out to us. Send in your opinions. We're going to be doing a segment of the deposition soon. And we'd love to have one of our fans featured. I'm Mike Stir. I'm Eric Gonzalez.
0: Yeah.
1: Court is adjourned.